0: Alright. First John chapter 2, verse 24 is where we left off. And we're gonna see some of those, those words, especially that, that abide word that uh has been coming up throughout the book of John. First John here uh 26 times. I think I might have found another one. I don't know if Bryce has found any anymore the research team for the word abide and it says a lot in here an abiding uh word and so uh verse 24 i'll read through the rest of this passage these four verses rest of this passage here these four verses here through 27 we're just going to take this as two parts so if your guests here today and and traveled in then you're not going to be confused. You can still hear this one part, and uh, you don't need to hear the second one for it to all come together. Um, but for us here, we're going to go the first half of this, first two verses, and then next week we'll cover the, the other two verses here, uh, 26 and 27. So as always, take heed of the, the perfect inerrant word of God as I read this morning. So starting from verse 24, First John chapter 2. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, it is true and is no lie. Just as it is taught to you, abide in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your abiding word, that you abide in us through your spirit. pray this morning that as we go through your truths, that you give me the words to speak. And that our hearts are, are, are cultivated and prepared to, to receive the, the seed in which uh, is so precious, your word. Uh, pray that your spirit seals the truths of your word in us. And that we can use it each and every day to, to bring glory and honor to your name. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so the word abide here, just by, by introduction... Of these uh, four verses here, it's mentioned five times. Five times we see the word abide here, three times in verse 24 alone, and then we see it twice in, in verse 27. Um, so, just off the, the, the jump here, we have this conclusion that the Word of God must abide in us. And the abiding Word of God is so in, imperative to the the, uh, the Christian life. And so, take a look at these verses, uh, uh, again, which are very instrumental to our, our Christian faith. Uh, again, we're going to break this down into two parts uh, today, and then uh, the first two verses, and then we'll finish up next week. So, first I want us to, to note and look here in, in verse 24. The, the very beginning here of verse 24, we have this command that John gives us. So, it says here, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. So this is this command that he gives. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. This is, again, issued as a command. It's not issued as a, as a suggestion. It's not an option for some believers who just want to be really serious about God. You know, this is for each and every one of us. This is for each and every believer in Christ. This is a critically important to the Christian faith. And so the word abide here, it means several things, but, but, but principally here in, in this text, in this passage here, it means to remain. It means to remain. In fact, that's exactly how it's translated um, up in verse 19. When we went through verse 19 where it says, if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. Same word there. Same word in the Greek, Remained. So they're saying that the, the, the word must remain in us, must be sealed into us. And so there's a the question, how does it remain in us? How, how does the word be sealed into us? How does it remain in us? How does it become a, a part of us? All right. First a question to pose uh, is how, how do we handle the word of God? How is it that you personally handle the word of God? Do you receive it as the Thessalonians did? And that of receiving it for what it truly is, not the words of man, but what it really is, the, the word of God, the very creator of, of all things, the one and only true God. So, how we receive it. Uh, so right off the jump, I'm going to give us some application. Usually we we'll do that towards the end, but I'm going to give us some application to think about uh, right from the, the beginning uh, in that you know, to abide in the word Uh, Think about this, an illustration of of a cow that is just chewing on its cud. It it gathers up the grass in the field, and it just continues to chew on it, and chew on it, and chew on it. And then it's extracting every bit of juice, every bit of nourishment it possibly can uh, from that grass. And so I want us to, to think on that and the way in which we handle the Word of God. So... What does that look like for us who are not cows? Oh, what does it look like for us? How, how, how is it that, that the word of God remains in us? How do, how do we chew on it? And so here's the applications that I want us to think about right from the beginning. Having this like Berean type mindset. I remember as we are going through Acts of the Bereans. They heard Paul preach and what did they do? They went to the scriptures. Make sure what Paul was saying was, was true. So they're backing whatever they hear, whether it is, uh, for us today, whether it's, it's, it's me on Sunday, whether it's in a Bible study, whether you hear it on a podcast, or whatever it may be, back it with the authority of the scripture. See if what is said is true. So be, be a Berean. Have a, have a Berean mindset. Um, secondly, when you listen to a sermon, and perhaps you're taking notes, uh, or whether it's, you know, in pen or pencil, or just taking notes in your mind, you know, throughout the week, it takes some time after, say, after the dust settles from, from Sunday, and as it kind of settles into your heart, and whether it's at lunchtime or whatever it may be, just kind of go back and, and go through those notes and continue to, to chew on them and have your mind refined by the things in which the Holy Spirit brought to your attention uh, through that sermon or that Bible study or, or maybe it's a, a podcast that you listen to, whatever it may be. Thirdly, take a verse of the passage. So if we're going through this this passage here, take a verse of it and commit it to memory. It's another good way to just seal those principles onto your heart that the Holy Spirit has, has brought forth uh, to your mind and, and to your heart. So it's so a great way to, to just, again, solidify those in our being and so lastly uh, it's almost probably the most important one uh, tell others you know, tell others about the things in which the, the Holy Spirit is revealed to you in the scriptures and, and speak forth those truths kind of like John here but in Revelation remember uh, John Revelation chapter 10 uh, I believe it's verse 9 um where he goes to the angel and he says to, to, to give, me this scroll, give me the scroll, give me the little scroll that's speaking of the scriptures, the word, the word of God. And then he says to him, he, the angel says, take it, eat it. He says, it'll be like sour in your stomach, bitter in your stomach, but on your mouth it is sweet as honey. Right? And so we see this picture here of John in Revelation receiving the word, and it's so sweet to his lips. As he consumes that word, it becomes bitter in his stomach. Why? What do we do when things are bitter in our stomach? We want to get it out. Right? So that, that word, just letting it settle in our stomach, and, and it becomes bitter in the sense of, not that it's bad bitter, it's good bitter here. We want to speak it forth, get it out, tell others. And as we get it out, it continues to be sweet upon our lips and acts as like a, a, a boomerang, a slingshot that comes back to us. And seals those principles again into into our heart, and to the, the depths of our heart. So, um, so chewing on them, committing things to memory, uh, speaking forth the truth to, to, to your friends and, and family and those who are around you. And these are all concepts that we can use to 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 exercise that muscle in the word abiding in us. And, so that's what he's calling here. Is that the word of God uh, would, would make its home in our lives. That it wouldn't just be checking in and, and checking out like a guest or, or a visitor. That it would take a permanent residency in us. And but you would think about this too. Like you would move into the word as well. So we move into the word and you know, committing to, to studying the word. As we move into the word, the word moves into us. And it continues to, to, to abide in us. It, it, it takes up residency. It unpacks its furniture in us. And it becomes a permanent home within our hearts, within our, our actions. And, and there's a point of, of, of retaining the very word of God uh, that helps move our lives in the direction in which God wills. Also, too, this here, when we see this abide, it's in the present tense, this command, In the present tense, meaning that, that every moment of every day, the word abides in you, in, in you in it. The word be, in guiding your speech, guiding your actions, guiding your inward thoughts and intentions. Um, and this isn't a, by any means, a call to any sort of perfectionism, but what drives and moves the direction of your life. The word of God. The spirit pressing those truths upon our lives. It's also here in the active voice in the Greek. Which simply means you, you've got to take action. This isn't a passive thing. It's an active voice. So you, you can't be passive about this. You have to, 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 to grab the bull by the horns. And take deliberate action for the word of God to remain in you. So John here, he's relaying a command to the, the early believers, relaying this command to the, the churches of Asia Minor, as well as to us here today. And that, that we must take every step for the word to abide in us. And you may know this isn't a salvific thing. and We're going to get into that here in, in a moment. <clears throat> when he says here, in you, and he's referring to your heart, your mind, your soul, your innermost being. It's not enough to just take the word and just uh, have it on the external you know, facade of your life. And meaning, like, illustration-wise, like, being able to, like, articulate the scriptures, but not living it out. We're supposed to be, be not just hearers of the word, but being doers of the word. not a superficial it's not a side part of our lives part of our inner being part of every aspect of our life it's the very thing that that, that steers and directs our life you know, the word of God and the, the Holy Spirit using that as a thrust in our lives to bring about you know, as a bit part of God's will Right, in our lives. So and he goes on, he says, if what you heard from the beginning. So what you heard from the beginning. There's this emphasis here on that word heard. Meaning that the truth is is meant to be heard through a, a human voice. He's saying what you heard. Now God has given teachers, he's given uh, preachers to the body of Christ and there's this, this impact that comes from when the word is is heard there's this this dynamic when it's accompanied by the holy spirit the lord surely meets with us he meets with us when when we study when, when we study our bible when we when we do so on our own when we read our bible that's something that, that we should all be committing to individually um, but there is this this extra Uh, shot of nitrous or extra octane when the word is brought from from a a spirit filled gifted teacher or or preacher of the word it it has a certain penetrating power and I think that's what he's stressing here here which you heard from the beginning in the beginning here what he's referring to is that the very first exposure to the truth when they were converted to Christ, when, when the Word of God was, was first implanted into them, when the Holy Spirit first revealed that truth to them, from the very beginning. First Peter, in chapter one, he, he talks about the word which has been implanted in us at, at that very moment of regeneration that very moment when, when we come to understand uh, where we stand before a holy God and then therefore the, the loveliness of Christ and his sacrifice and what he has done for his people in that very moment you know, here Peter speaks of that and that that word continues to, to abide in us he says here uh, you don't have to turn there if you don't want but in 1 Peter 1 it says verse 3, 23 I'm sorry since you have been born again, since you've been born from above, that that rebirth that happens when the Holy Spirit takes somebody's heart of stone and and gives them a heart of flesh and and the old man is dead and now they're new and and alive in Christ. And so, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed. Perishable seed is, is worldly ideals. That's those seeds that are thrown from false teachers from the, the world system saying this is how you gain health, wealth, prosperity, status before men, all the desires of, of the flesh. Uh, that's the, the, imperish, or the, the perishable seed that will pass away and be gone. He says, born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. And he goes on and he quotes Isaiah 40. He says, For all flesh is like grass, and all is glory like the flower of grass. Listen here, he says, The grass withers, the flowers fail. So the flesh fails. All the, the, the works of the flesh, the status of man, the desires of the flesh, all these things here he's, he's, he's using this analogy of, of the grass and the flowers. They wither, they fail. Then he says, "But the word of the Lord remains forever. It remains forever." And he says, "And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The gospel, the good news of Christ. Is it atoning work on the cross? His redemptive act of, of taking a, a people who were dead in their trespasses, and making them alive in Christ. So here's what John is saying: He's saying, Do not be pulled away from the Word of God by, by false teachers, by worldly ideals. He makes reference to this in verse 26 when he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you not let them snatch the word out with slick talking, with appeals to the flesh to tell you what you want to hear how to be wealthy and successful according to the flesh it's not a sin to be wealthy it's not a sin to be successful but if it's derived from the desire of the flesh that's when it moves into that realm of sin Only these false teachers, these uh, worldly ideals will pull you away from the word. Just as a fundamental principle here, uh, new truth is is old heresy. New truth is old heresy. If you you hear something new, you you can rest assured that uh, they didn't know about it in the first, second, third, fourth century, and then all of a sudden, you're the first person in the history of the world now in the 21st century to to ever see this, I can assure you that that, that what you say is from the devil. Timeless principle. No new truth truth is, is old heresy. And I want to make note on that too, that kind of the separation between the doctrine of revelation and the doctrine of illumination. And we could be reading our scriptures or listening to a sermon and it's new truth to us because the first time has been revealed to us. That's the doctrine of illumination. Right, that truth has always been. It's just now the Spirit is revealing that truth to you as you study and grow and cultivate. Um, versus the doctrine of revelation and that all that he has given us is it's already there. It is, it is sealed. Nothing new can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away. It's a separation of doctrine of regeneration and the doctrine of I'm sorry, doctrine of revelation and the doctrine of illumination. We are all continuously going through the doctrine of illumination as the Spirit refines us and um, molds us into the image of Christ. Uh, so doctrines must be time-tested. Must be time-tested. Colossians three sixteen. I'm going to add here a side note. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Some translations say richly dwell, which that word comes from the Greek word, which means to, to make its home in your heart and to take up that permanent residency and stay in you and retain in you, to dwell richly in you. So what would cause the word that has been sown into your heart, uh, what, would, what would cause it not to be retained in you? What would cause you to, to not retain it? Uh, for it to not remain in you. Let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 13. We have a great reference to this here. of the Sower. This is great because we have the parable, and then we have Christ Himself explaining and expounding upon this parable. I'll read them both, uh, both these sections, and so Jesus gives the parable, and then when He explains it. So starting right from the beginning of 13. The same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and a great crowd gathered about him, so that he got in, into a boat and sat down. The whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, excuse me, a sower went out to sow, so, so a farmer, you know, a farmer going out, spreading seeds, sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell among the path. And the birds came, and they devoured them. Other seeds fell on a rocky ground. They did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. Since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. Since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up, choked them out, and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold some 60, some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. So I had a little jujitsu in there. I was like, choked him out. Sorry. <laughs> chucked him. So then we go further down. So just kind of slide your, your windows of your soul down to verse 18, and Jesus explains it to us. He says, "Here then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And so that seed is sown. It's the truth. It is sown. Right? But it's their heart, their depth of their heart. I want us to think about the soil being our heart. Okay? And so it fell on, on, on closed ears. fell on seared hearts. And continues on. it says... After what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. This person, they they hear it, and they're they're so joyful when they hear it. This is the picture of this this seed that was sown, and there's this thin layer of soil. It's a very small cultivation of soil. And then below that is is a bed of rocks. And that seed is sown, and it grows, and immediately it hits the rocks and, and turns and comes back up out of the ground and and its roots are exposed now to the sun the sun burns down or presses down on them and and scorches them and they wither so he says they receive it with joy but he has no root in himself but endures for a while and then tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word immediately he falls away As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, and the deceitfulness of, of riches choke the, world, the word, and it proves unfruitful. This is a picture of someone who is clinging to the world, clinging to the world still, and won't give up those, those worldly ideals, and that chokes it out, chokes out the word. That's what was sown on good soil. This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold; in another, sixty; and another, thirty. This one whose heart is cultivated, I'm prepared to to hear the word. These principles here uh, are very important for us to think about. Uh, as we, anytime we, we approach the Word of God, whether it's through study, whether it's through listening to sermons, whatever it may be, anytime we approach that Word of God, uh, I think a good thing to be thinking about it is, where is my heart? Where is my heart in that moment? Is it my heart on other things? Is my heart on worldly things? Where is my heart on, on the Word of God itself? Am I clinging to it? Just being mindful, mindful of the, of the soil of our heart each and every time we approach the Scriptures. Because think of this, like, here, the difference is not in the sower. The difference is not in the, in the seed. The seed is the same seed. It's truth. It's not in the sower. Anyone can, can, can fling seeds. The difference from one person to the next, to the next, to the next, is where is your heart? Or is your heart's desire? Are we seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? If we do so, all these other things will be added unto you. Again, that's not a, a, a verse of worldly prosperity. It's the verse of spiritual prosperity. So John begins by, by telling us these telling us and in these early believers, let's take these steps for the, the, the things in which you've heard to, to abide in you, to remain in you. Yeah, so that's where he begins. He begins with this, this command here in verse 24. Uh, before we move on here, I want to just encourage you that and every time, every single time you open the word, every time you sit under the teaching of the word, every single time you read the word that you are consciously mindful of, of, again, where your heart is and how receptive your heart is to the truth. Do you receive it like a, a like the Thessalonians, again, as what it truly is with the word of God? So we have this command. Now we see this effect here. We have this effect. Here's the, man. Here's the consequence here that of, of the abiding word. The consequence of abiding in the truth. And this is a, a positive motivation. That John gives us. He says here in the middle of verse 24. What you heard from the beginning. Again, what you heard from the beginning. The gospel. The gospel. Sound doctrine. Mm-hmm. It's the, the For these early believers. And for us too. It's, it's the apostolic teaching. It's the, the word of God. Which. For them here has been written up into this moment. Here that John's writing to uh, the early church. And so what you have heard, what you have heard. Again, this emphasis on heard. From the beginning, that it abides in you. if it remains in your mind and stays in your heart and is deeply rooted, it says here, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. You abide in the Son. And in the Father. I want to make note. What he is not saying. Is that if you'll just abide in the word. Then, then you will abide in salvation. Meaning that you'll retain your salvation. That's not at all what he's saying. Salvation is, is secured. You cannot lose your salvation. It wasn't ours in the first place. It was gifted to us. It's not what he's talking about here. He tells us in verse 25 here that we have eternal life. So that's not what he's saying here. What is being said here is that closeness in your walk with the Lord. He's talking about the closeness of your fellowship with the Lord. That you are walking in the light as he is in the light. You're enjoying the fellowship and the communion with the Lord and with his people and that the Lord is, is closer to you, closer to you than, than anyone else in this world. Anyone. It kind of goes back to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I'll put it in a pr- perspective of like, a, uh, I've used this several times in, in talking with uh, like premarital counseling and things of that nature, but um, that, that marriage teepee, and it goes, this goes the. Across all the spectrums of our relationships with one another. But I always give that illustration of this marriage teepee. I used to say triangle, but as I thought about it more, you could move latitude to one another, which doesn't make sense. So the, the marriage teepee, right, where you have the, the husband and the wife on both ends, and we have the pinnacle of, of God, that tri union of marriage at the top. How then does one grow closer? How how does the husband and the wife grow closer? They seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. As they move up, they grow closer to one another. So that's a good illustration of what that means. So that's our spiritual prosperity. Spiritual prosperity in our relationships, whether it's marital or with uh, friends and family members. It's first the kingdom of God. So it says here, you'll abide in the Son and in the Father. There's two things that this tells us. Two things here he's telling us. In order for you to be close to the Lord experientially, the word must be abiding in you. You'll be no closer to the Lord than when the word of God and sound doctrine and the teaching of scripture is abiding in you. On this side of eternity. So if you want to be closer to the Lord, the word has to be close to you. And that underscores the uh, strategic importance of the ministry of the Word of God in our lives, each and every one of us individually, collectively. let's think on this: if the Lord seems to be distant from you, seems to be distant from you, if you seem to be more preoccupied with the things of the world than the kingdom of God, then there's this this call, this call to to Dig into the word. It's called to get back into the word. And let the word take up residency in you. Secondly, you cannot know the father apart from knowing the son. There's no separation there. The father will never be closer to you apart from being close to the son. You cannot have closeness with the father without closeness with his son. They Go hand in hand. So John emphasizes here this, when he says that, that you two will abide in the Son. He says, you two will abide in the Son. And he could have stopped there, but then he says, and the Father. He accentuates the sol- solidarity of the Trinity, of the, the, the oneness of the Godhead. In order to know the Father, you have to know the Son. And as you know the Son, you will know the Father. Uh, they are of the same essence. They are the same attributes. They are co-equal. They are co-eternal. Cannot have one without the other. It also goes with the Holy Spirit as well. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's the effect of the abiding word of God. As you abide in the Son and in the Father. And then he gives us this last thing here. And we'll kind of sum this up and, and close with this. So He gives us this beautiful, beautiful verse of assurance. The command, the effect, henceforth brings assurance. Where this first John is letter is this book of assurance. How do we know that we know God? it gives us this assurance here, verse twenty-five, and this is the promise that He made to us: eternal life. This is eternal life. This promise concerns exactly what it says: eternity. It's concerned with eternity. Uh, the word "promises" here, uh, and this promise is is a promise that is uh, irrevocable. It is a guarantee. Uh, and when God promises something, it is certain. It is sure. He does not change. Uh, it's more reliable than our next heartbeat. John himself he heard the multiple promises of eternal life that the Lord promised and taught throughout. Uh, the Lord's earthly ministry, and, and John being the, the only disciple that went the whole way to the cross with Christ. So we he heard these things constantly. Its eternal life is a life that will never end, it is a life that, that will endure throughout all eternity, it is a life that, that, that will never diminish within time. It, it is timeless so what John is highlighting here is the the necessity of the the word to abide in you. Not that you remain saved. Those who believe in Christ, those who believe in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, those who who believe in the one who, who knew no sin yet became the offering of sin on our behalf so that we may become the righteousness of God. And if that's you, if that is you, rest assured you have eternal life. You have eternal life. So so your eternity is is sealed by the Spirit. sealed by Christ's atoning work on the cross. It's already settled for those who believe in Christ. You're as certain for heaven and as certain for the the presence of Christ as if you've already been there for 10,000 years. That was secured. That security is in the Lord in His death upon the cross, His resurrection emphasis here is for the word to abide in you because because you have eternal life because you have eternal life so that you may grow in the grace and grow in the knowledge of your savior so you can grow into this greater understanding of how to to bring glory and honor to your savior the very purpose of of all things, which is to bring glory to God. So as we partake in communion this morning, uh, just going back to that, uh, that is you. If you believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior, communion is for you. Communion is for believers. It's not for perfectionists. There are no perfectionists. there is no perfection on this side of eternity outside of Christ himself. We partake in communion in, in, in the remembrance of his perfection, not of anything of, of ourselves. So as we uh, eat the bread, we 're reminded of, of his sacrifice, his body that he has given. that bore the weight of of the sins, that bore the wrath of his Father. We drink the juice as a reminder of his shed blood, that once and for all sacrifice that was sufficient. It is finished, the atonement of his people. And then that great joyous assurance and promise that John has given us here, and reminding us that we do have eternal life. So that promise that, that Christ has given. That he's going to return. He's going to gather his people. The great uh, marriage supper of the Lamb. great marriage feast. And we'll gather together again uh, with him. So we have this promise that he's going to return. And he's preparing a place for us. So if that is you. And you believe in Christ's atoning work. Communion I mean, is for you. It's a means of grace, and uh, knowing that we fall short, but He has finished. He has done. He has completed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the sacrifice of Your Son Jesus, for raising Him from the tomb. The great assurance that we have in Him and Him alone. The assurance of eternal life. Father, help us to leave, just joyous of, of knowing that, that it is sealed. Knowing that the, the time that you have given us here on this side of eternity is it's so, so faint, it's but a vapor. And that those, all those who are yours, will be in your presence. Whether it be in a few years or or 80 years or you return tomorrow, we know it is sealed. Help us all to to leave it with with that joy in our heart, to go out and to to preach it to others and tell others about your son. Father, I pray that you bless this communion. Set it aside as a holy use as we partake in, in eating of the bread and drinking of the cup. And we do so in remembrance solely upon the sacrifice of your son. Father, we thank you for that. We praise you. We pray this all in his precious name. Amen.